You know, first off, let's get the monkey off, uh, or the elephant in the room, the monkey off my back. I broke my thumb. (laughs) Uh, Tuesday morning playing basketball, 6.30 a.m., broke my thumb, and... uh, and I'll be fine, but uh, you're, you're, when you're a preacher of the word or you speak prophetically sometimes in people's lives, uh, prophets are sometimes made illustrations. And uh, in the, like Jonathan said, we had planned that today I would talk about disappointment. So uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty disappointed. Uh, I had hoped uh, certain things would happen the next six weeks with both my thumbs, and uh, and now um, you know we're facing a different reality. So uh, you can thanks for praying for me. Uh, there are probably more uh, pressing matters you could pray for other people, uh, but today we're talking about disappointment. Uh, first of four emotions. We'll get to joy, and I honestly we're Christians, so we can't really linger too long on some of the tough things without getting to Jesus, right? And you can't behold Jesus without coming to some, well, some, we're impressed by him, and uh, we're excited by him. So, and I forgot to announce the kids can go back for the teaching time. Thank you, Mr. Blake. All the children can head back with Mr. Blake, who just seized them anyways. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for, again, I, apparently my broken thumb break, broke my mind too. But um, So disappointment, uh, next week stress, uh, then we're going to look at sadness, and then we'll get to delighting and joy uh, of, of Christ. And, and uh, there's this book, uh, we've been passing these out and giving it to folks. I, I know a number went out yesterday um, to different people. Uh, you just never know uh, what might be the thing that finally breaks through kind of the sort of the crust of people's hearts and minds to the Lord, right? It, maybe it will be something in this little book. It's a very short read, but it's by a guy named Bob Lapine, who I've never met, but I, I think he must know Jesus because he talks about him like he does. And uh, that's really what the goal of the book is. It's not a preachy book, but it does get to the gospel at the end. Uh, In the first of the four key chapters that it's named after, Four Emotions of Christmas, Disappointment, he talks about being disappointed in in regular life. You know, disappointment happening because of an expectation that happiness wasn't fulfilled, or a dream, right? An expectation of harmony. I hope and pray that that your uh, Thanksgiving festivities with your family and friends went harmoniously. Uh, or that I, I think, you know, sometimes things yesterday, there was a, uh, a baby shower, and you, you pray for harmony, but I forgot to pray that she wouldn't burn her house down, and she just about did, right? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. The, the expectations sometimes become a disappointment for us in life. And uh, perfection, of course, we, uh, I, I have to be honest, I, I'm a, a closet perfectionist. My, my grandpa, who is an electrician and plumber, and he used to have this saying, I would once in a while help him before he passed. And, and, and he would say to me, uh, when we were, you know, pulling wires or whatever we were doing, and I was not the tradesperson, I was just the, the gopher, you know, go for this, go for that. He, he, uh, he would say, well, perfect is good enough, Josh. I mean, just think about that. I, I wish I had not really let it into my heart and life, but I really have. Uh, and I, my kids will v- vouch for that saying because I often say it uh, when I'm doing my own home improvement projects and other things too. Uh, but you know, we can be disappointed with that, right? Yes, we can. Well, I'm just going to read one little quote from here and, and uh, just to, to point your attention to this. Sometimes, he writes, we begin to see the Christmas season as a litmus test for the whole of our lives. 
If we can't get the holiday season to cooperate with our expectations, delivering on happiness and bringing peace, we find ourselves thinking that nothing in life is working the way it's supposed to. Uh, and that's what he's already writing about and what I'd like to address with you today. To do that, I'm going to take your attention to Luke chapter 2. Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 2, page 857. And Luke is writing in their, our um, Advent devotionals that were handed out at Iwana. He's writing to Theophilus and he has made an orderly uh, uh, examination. He's investigated this account, this reality that the Messiah of, of the Jews, the Messiah from for uh, the savior of the world and of, of sinners has come and he's investigated a lot of things and apparently one of the key uh, interviews he did was with a sweet woman named Mary who was the mother of Jesus. Uh, Joseph's interview is never recorded. It's likely that Joseph, since he's not mentioned in the Gospels when Jesus is in his ministry, probably he died at some point prior to uh, Jesus entering ministry. Perhaps in, in some ways that's why Jesus was delayed so, so much to begin ministry, not till his 30s. Uh, at any rate, uh, Mary is uh, interrogated or investigated uh, and she has this accounting and she's going to share a message uh, or her, her recording of what she experienced when she was dedicating Jesus with her husband Joseph in the temple. And it's on page uh, 857, if you haven't already got there. It's Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the 22nd through the 35th verse. Now, this is kind of strange. And you might think to me, say to me, Pastor, you're doing the gospel thing. You're doing the Advent story in the backwards. Uh, you're supposed to start where, you know, the announcement of, of, ba of baby Jesus coming to Mary or something. That's kind of, we're early in the month if you didn't realize. Uh, you're talking about after the month of December and January when they went to the temple uh, and dedicated uh, and uh, their son uh, to the Lord. Well, yes, I am, but we actually don't know the specific date that Jesus was born. So it could be in the providence of God, we're talking today on the annual, actual date that heaven knows is the date in the calendar when Jesus was dedicated to the Lord. We don't know. So I'm going to give us permission to take things out of order as long as we go to Jesus, right? That's the key part. Amen? As long as we go to Jesus. Okay, here we go. I, th I want to make sure you're on, on page here. Luke 2, uh, verse 22. Jesus has been born. Uh, you, you probably know a little bit about this, the, the anticipation uh, of this Messiah and the, the boy born of a virgin, Mary. And so they're taking him into the temple in Jerusalem in order to obey the law, which was uh, when a baby was born, the firstborn son was to be devoted to the Lord and redeemed. And then uh, the woman uh, who had just given birth was to be kind of ceremonially uh, cleansed or purified in order to be able to uh, be part of God's people and worship without any uh, uncleanliness or symbolic or ceremonial uncleanliness. So that's why they're there in the temple and they're about to encounter a man who has a lot of personal experience with disappointment. His name is Simeon. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Uh, I just feel a need to pray and ask God's grace and help in, in uh, applying this to our lives. Lord in heaven, this is amazing, uh, this proclamation that Jesus has come and the way in which you come, the things that Simeon saw help us to see. The things that Jesus, you expose and reveal, that you strip away, do that for us as well. The things that in beholding you, you heal. The things that, that you do when you draw near to us, bring those things, those blessings to us as well. The treasures that you offer us. And grant that we might have a right expectation of you. And be ready for your advent, your second advent, your return. Please, O oh Lord, give us ears to hear. Give to us eyes to see, and would you give us a new heart, one that's biddable, one that's listening, one that's understanding you and your word. We pray for faith in Christ's name. Amen. So disappointment. I think actually, did the, the, the slide at the beginning have my x-ray? There, okay, oh, there's the other one. Disappointment. Consolation. Behold and ask. Now, a smart person realized that's ABC's backwards. Right? <laughs> There's D for disappointment, C for consolation, B for behold, and A for ask. That's my outline. Okay, and disappointment. We, we're going to lay the, the ground with disappointment. Simeon was disappointed. How do we know that? Because it says in verse twenty-five, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now I'll get right to C because I already talked a little bit about disappointment, and we'll talk about Simeon's particular disappointments. But what is consolation? It's kind of a big. Uh, I don't know how many syllables. I didn't come prepared. Consolation. That's four syllables, right? Yes, four syllables. <laughs> it's a big word. Uh, it's bigger than all the words on our banner. By the way, I, someone pointed out every word is one or two syllables on the banner, which probably means that a, a third grade reader sitting in the back of mom and dad's car or whomever's back and forth from Janesville can read the invitation of Jesus outside our building. It's like God designed English to be, well, he didn't design English, but, you know, people assembled a lot of English words from all kinds of other cultures and stuff like that. But I love that it's understandable by children. Consolation. Anybody use that word recently? You know, probably not, right? So why does, in our, our Bibles, why do we put such a big word in there? Well, in part because we want to be careful and accurate and uh, translate well the word that's there in Greek. Uh, 
And I'm not going to go into that word Greek part for you, but the consolation really is a pretty good English translation of that Greek word. And consolation, I looked it up, it means uh, this, a noun that means the comfort that one receives after a loss or a disappointment. In British thinking, and this is actually in the dictionary, uh, the, well, at least the British version of it, uh, Oxford's English Dictionary, uh, it says that consolation can refer to a goal, a consolation goal in football, or we call it soccer here, uh, when the losing team scores a goal that doesn't really affect the overall game, who wins or loses. It's called a consolation Goal. I bring that up because we just had a World Cup soccer yesterday, and uh, at least four of us Americans in this room cared about it. I was one of them. <laughs> and the United States of America, a vast country with incredible athletes and resources, lost to this teeny tiny place called the Netherlands, uh, three to one. And uh, there was, you might say, consolation goal. The U.S. at least scored one and lost horribly anyways, right? <laughs> at least they scored one. So that idea of at least dot 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 fill in the blank, that is a sense in which you might think the scriptures are talking about consolation. That it well at least they scored one goal, at least they, they didn't get shut out. At least, Pastor Josh, it was your left hand because you are a normal human being and you're actually right-handed. <laughs> All the abnormal ones are not laughing. Okay, whatever. Uh, you know, at least this, that, and the other thing, right? <laughs> I'm making fun. Of course, you can be left-handed human. I, I'm sorry. You, you got that. So he's waiting for the consolation. Uh, and a, he's waiting for what? And, and actually, there's a technical sense. He's actually waiting for a person, right? In fact, that's even in the English, uh, the Oxford's di Dictionary. A consolation could also be a person or thing that provides that comfort, that provides that consolation. And that, of course, is what Simeon is waiting for. He is waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. Now, now that's really important. He, even bigger than the disappointments he's facing, say broken thumbs or whatever, he's looking for the consolation of Israel. And Israel is God's people. It's God's redeemed people. It's the covenant people that he, is, he has expended a vast amount of energy over millennia at this point, uh, protecting and shielding and preparing that the world and all of its ragings and ravings has been trying to snuff out God's people. Remember, we just finished the story of Esther. We know of, of a time when that God's people were threatened so, so universally that they could have gone off the planet of the earth. But God continues to shield them. And that, by the way, is an exhibit that's still on this planet today. You know, all of us are so, uh, you know, so absorbed in a, such an amalgamation of people in our country, especially our ethnicity and, and background and all that, we variously think of ourselves. But one, the only people that I know of that maintains an integrated identity is the Jewish people on this planet. They are the only ones who for millennia remain Jews. The rest of us have come and gone and have different kind of empires. And frankly, the U.S. empire might be, uh, though only less than, you know, what a couple hundred years old, we're fairly new on the scene, right? But God is keeping and protecting his people. And there's a man who, who's part of these people who's waiting for the consolation of his people, the consolation of God's faithful remnant. And that's really what Israel is. I think my son, sometimes we're talking about the scriptures, and he says, why, Dad, in the Old Testament, sometimes it says the people of Jacob, and sometimes it'll say the sons of Jacob, and the very next sentence, the sons of Israel, well, Jacob is a man who became Israel, remember. He's the one who had the 12, well, actually 13 sons. 
right? Uh, twelve sons, the twelve tribes. And uh, so he's the one who did that. And so here's the thing, like he became uh, the, the sort of the patriarch of the people. And, and Israel is his name of redemption. It's after he wrestled with the Lord, he gets renamed Israel. So generally speaking, this isn't a one for one all the time. But when it mentions the sons of Jacob, it's talking about God's people and their sins. When it's talking about God's people of Israel, it's talking about God's people covered under grace. He's waiting for the comfort, the consolation of Israel. Why is he waiting? He has experienced some major disappointments. Now, how do I know that? Well, because I know the history and also because of what he's going to say here in his little poem, in a way. He is severely disappointed. Uh, every Jew at this point in history is extremely disappointed. Why? Because the three crowns that God had given his people, that he had meant Israel to be, that is to wear the crowns, the honor of prophet and priest and king, to be a prophetic people, a priestly people, a, a kingly people who are administrating God's rule on this planet, the, the right rule of God's uh, people. They were to be that people. They were to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill. And, and they had, had every one of those key crowns had been ripped off their heads, thrown on the ground and trampled. Think about this this way. Uh, the disappointment of losing the prophetic crown. Uh, the word of God was rare in those days. Right? Very rare. In fact, it had been rare for quite a while. 430 years kind of a rare. That's a long time between the prophet Malachi and the coming of Jesus. There is a, a virtual silence by God, and there's a pro prophetic crown, that kind of sense in which, thus saith the Lord, that voice. And in, the, in a vacuum, when there aren't people who know the Lord, who see the Lord, who speak prophetically for him, then the scribes rush in to fill the hole. And what do scribes do? Well, they dicker and bicker about words and genealogies and all the fluffy stuff and all this because they don't know God. They don't have him directly. They aren't feasting on him and beholding him with their own eyes. And so they start worrying and intramural debating about things. That's why when the Messiah comes, remember when his great sermon is recorded at the end of Matthew 7, when he's finished that kind of, I think it's meant to be a, a synopsis of what he would often teach as he was an itinerant preacher. Uh, as he finished his sermon on the mount, it, the crowds pay attention. They said, whoa, what's going on? Here is someone who teaches with authority and not like one of the scribes. So this is a difficulty for them because they have had a long time with scribes and experts of the law and people who read and intellectual types from ivory towers arguing about various little things, so much so that even should there be a little flame, a kindle of hope that maybe God is real and he's, uh, he is near you, it gets kind of, kind of overwhelmed by all the, the confl conflicting about, conflicts about words and genealogies and stuff. Simeon lives in that era. He also lives in the era when the crown of the high priest, the crown of the priest, has been removed. Remember, the priest is meant to be that, that intermediary, that representative of man to God and God to man. And it's, it was supposed to be that there wouldn't be politics, at least in this one aspect of God's people, that the, that the priestly line would just go down the line of Levi, right? It would just be them. 
But do you know that in, in the hundred or so years uh, prior to Simeon, that what has happened is this high priesthood has traded hands time and time again, and it really has become really down to politics. And if you read about how the Romans, and really sad to say, it's the Romans who are choosing who will be the high priest in the era before Simeon uh, is, is here in, in uh, around 0 AD, close to that, 4 BC. And, and, and here he is, and it seems like the high priesthood is going to the highest bidder. It's about power and dominance. And that would continue that ethos all the way through when Christ was crucified. Because you remember that high priest. How Caiaphas approached him. That ethos, that way of being. The high priest was meant to be God's messenger. God's go-between. His representative and said, this guy's representing himself, right? Crucify him. He leads the charge. Crucify him. Oh, that would be better if one should die than we lose our place and power and my money and estate. I put the my in there. He didn't say it that way. But that's what he meant. So they had lost their position. And he's disappointed by that. Simeon's a faithful man, it says. A devout man. And that's a great disappointment. When you, like I heard once said, it, it was a sad moment when a man, this is now 50 years ago that this quote is from, but he said, it was a sad moment when I came to a big tent as a child hoping for a circus and I found a revival. <laughs> But it was even sadder when in my 50s I came to a big tent hoping for a revival and found only a circus. I think I would just, back to the evangelistic, the opportunity to share the, the invitation to come to Oak Grove or to another church that would point to Jesus, to your neighbor, your family member, or someone distant, or even just to go online. That's the great thing. They can in anonymity worship the Lord and listen to the Lord at the beginning of it, at least, if they would just listen online, YouTube it, whatever, you know. You put the invitation out there. So many people are not as uh, hostile as you think. They're just indifferent. And they've been to a lot of circuses in churches. And they need to know that God is real, like Simeon knows him. They need a priest. Oh, by the way, you're the royal priesthood now, right? It says that. God's people, covered by his spirit, are now sent out as priests. It says that in Peter's letters. Thirdly, the crown of the king. King Herod is a megalomaniac on the throne. The story of Christmas tells us that. What did he do in Bethlehem? Do you remember? Every, every boy he could find, two years or younger, he kill, he murders because he's afraid. Why? He has every reason to be afraid because the Messiah was to be the son of David, meaning in the line of King David, meaning he's the rightful ruler. Born king, not made king, born king, like he said to uh, Pontius Pilate. That's how Jesus put it. King Herod has every reason to be worried because he is not of the line of David. He is not a son of David. Humiliation, not even so. He's just a puppet king. The Jews have lost autonomy. They are in the condition where they have this humiliation that the Roman Empire has come in and they're occupying. They're calling the shots. They're forcing the taxes. They're the ones guarding and being the police force. It's a hard situation to live in. In addition to those massive disappointments, structural disappointments, religious disappointments, temple disappointments, uh, rule, like the king, kingly righteous rule disappointments, I think also Simeon has personal disappointments, and I derive that from, how, from what we know about him. It says this in verse 29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. 
Because verse 26 again says, it, it had revealed, been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And from that, a lot of people think that means Simeon's old. We don't actually know that. The scripture never says that Simeon's an old man. It just means, it says that he's a man ready to die. You don't have to be old to be ready to die. I mean, my pastoral perspective is that the people who are ready to die are those who have, been, have faced a great deal of disappointments. A young man sometimes is ready to die. I met a man once who has such physical agony from his back pain that he was ready to call it quits. And he, was, he wasn't even 40. So you don't have to be old necessarily. Now, you, you have to say he, he has certain disappointments. It's possible that he's older. But I will just say this. When, what prepares someone to die in the physical realm, in the human flesh realm, you might say, is maybe poor health. And it could also be lost loved ones. A while back, I was talking to one of the oldest uh, folks in our church. And, and she told me, she said, point blank, Josh, pastor, I, I'm ready to die. Uh, I, I now see in my 90s that, that death is its own kind of mercy. She's the last of her generation. She's had to say goodbye to everyone. All of her friends are gone. All of her peers, her family, her generation. She's the last one. You know, so, so maybe Simeon's like her. Maybe he's waited for a while. Maybe. All I can say for sure is he's been personally disappointed and living in a very disappointing time period for the faithful people of God. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? What comfort was he looking for? Well, 29 through 32, he, he sort of, uh, you know, beholds and he just hails the king. He just explodes in joy. He can't keep it in. He, he's got to let it out. And he, he declares this incredible thing that describes what he's looking for. He says this, and I'm going to reread uh, his, his poetic a fusion that just kind of bursts out of his heart and mind uh, by the Spirit, perhaps, I would suggest. That it says this, that he, he says out loud, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He is looking for a return of honor to Israel, to God's people, to the remnants, to the, the faithful. He's looking for, it says, the glory to your people, Israel. He wants the return of those three crowns, the prophet, priest, and king crowns. And he believes and sees that that will happen when he takes up in his arms a baby boy, 40-ish 40 days old. How does... That lead to consolation for him. How is he say, does he say, Lord, now you are letting your, your uh, prophet, your person rather, your servant, uh, depart in peace. How, just looking at Jesus, does that work? Well, that brings us to the, the third letter, the B word, behold. Simeon is a great example of what I've been trying to press on you of someone who's beholding. <laughs> Remember, now, now Mary's there and Joseph's there and they have a little baby and uh, in the way the temple is structured, there are these series of courts. They're like progressively closer to the Holy of Holies, right? There's some areas that only the priests can get to. And then further out, the furthest out court really is called the Court of the Gentiles. And then there's this Court of the Women. And the women also, the Jewish women and men can come. So, so Mary and Joseph, that's as far as Mary can go. So that's where the purification was going to occur for her and the baby. 
And they come in here, and it was probably way more chaotic than right now in our sanctuary, and lots more people than here. It's more of a, a mall experience. I've, I've been, and I've seen the to Jerusalem. I've seen some of the models, and I understand what that high place was like. And, and, and it was more of a, a hubbub, in a way, with religious activity. And remember, Jesus pointed out how it continued in his time to be kind of a hubbub of activity. And he remember what he did? He drove out the, the noise and said, my house, the Father's house was meant to be a place of prayer, right? And it was said it was a hubbub. So they're in a hubbub still. Mary and uh, Joseph with baby Jesus, they're in a hubbub. And all these people are around. And if, if someone had brought in a baby today, none of us would think much about it. We might look at him and coo and caw and that kind of thing. Because everyone sees the baby. But Simeon is beholding the baby. There's a difference between seeing Jesus and beholding him. Seeing him is just looking at him, you know, thinking things about him, having certain ideas or convictions. Oh, yeah, I'm sure this happened in history, that sort of thing. And a lot of people come to church, and they're people who, and that's good to do, but if you're only coming and seeing him and not beholding him, you're missing something significant because disappointments are solved, are addressed, not by seeing Jesus, but by beholding Jesus. What do I mean by that? Behold means look up. It means pay attention. It means lift up your eyes. Right? It's, it, it's not at all what the experts of our era are telling us on how to address our disappointments. What do they say about our disappointments now? Well, the, all the experts will say there's a couple different things you can do, Pastor Josh. When your, your left hand has a broken thumb, the first thing you can do is try the whole thing you do with your children. Distract yourself. Right? Like if you're suffering, distract yourself. Give yourself over to something. Maybe alcohol or music or go to the play or watch a, you know, I don't know, binge watch a series on Netflix. Distract yourself. Play a video game. Do something like that. Distract yourself and you'll stop thinking about it. You know, just be optimistic maybe. Another approach is, well, if you have a disappointment, let's maybe just redefine this disappointment. That's kind of the consolation goal thing. Well, well Pastor Josh, I mean, at least it's your left hand, not your right hand, Right? Or at least if you have, you know, some health challenge, at least you still have life. It's like, there's always an at least, right? Uh, the problem is, the at least do run out. Remember Job. He, someone might have said that to him. In fact, I think they did, probably. When he lost all of his children, all of his wealth, like everything but his wife, someone might have gone up to Job and said, well, at least you're still healthy, <laughs> till the next day or shortly after when the devil then touched his flesh, remember? That's my point, is like, if you use that as your hope or the how you cope with disappointments of life, well, at least da-da-da-da hasn't happened yet. Someday that will happen. Someday that disappointment could come upon you. So that's inadequate. That's insufficient. That's not what keeps uh, Simeon uh, through life's disappointments. There's something else here. And then there's what I think, and I think this is, I'll use the word malpractice. I think it's malpractice that what counselors and psychologists do, where they basically get you to uh, re replay some abuse, some difficulty, some disappointment so much in your mind, rehash the story, tell it over and over and over again until you get numb to it. That's not you getting you know, over it or through it. That's just getting used to it. And Simeon was not about being used to the disappointments. He saw something. He beheld someone that brought comfort to his soul. That he was now ready to die. 
Not that the situations would uh, be fixed all the way. Just think of that. He was ready to die. Die is an in, death is an intrusion into his life and into this world. It's a, it's a result of sin. So he still was going to die. Remember Jesus would... I heard someone once say that Jesus was amazing because there was never a dead body that stayed dead in his presence during his ministry. They always say, spring back to life, a child or whoever. And uh, even Lazarus is brought back from the dead for a time. But he did die again. Right? He did die again. So the disappointments are real. And the message of, God, of the Bible is not, hey, you know, cheer up. Perhaps your circumstances will change. Well, they may not. You may die. Your loved one may die. How do you find orientation and consolation in that? Well, by beholding Jesus. How so? How is beholding Jesus a consolation? Because what God has done in Christ is he has brought the true prophet, priest, and king into this world. And, and because he is physically present, it means a variety of things. It means a couple things. Even Mary will fear, face something. Let me, let's use Mary as an example. How about that? Because he even says, Simeon, to Mary, behold. He tells Mary and Joseph, behold. He uses that word. Behold. Don't just look at your son. Behold what God's doing in your son. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that's opposed. And then in verse 35, I think in my translation, there's a parenthetical comment that's in the scripture, that's in Greek. It says this. And, and Simeon kind of has a disappointing message, really, for Mary. And also, by the way, Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Ooh. So that the hearts, the thoughts rather, for many hearts may be revealed. What, what happened? Well, Mary raised Jesus, was alive during Jesus' ministry, was there at the cross with other ladies watching her son be crucified and murdered unjustly. A miscarriage of justice. And, and, and her soul sort of pierced her soul as she saw that. As she beheld, was beholding her son, the Messiah, so treated by her own people, by God's redeemed people. If there, if there was ever a people on the planet who could have and should have responded rightly to the coming of the Savior of the world, to the Son of the living God, it would be the Jews who knew the Old Testament, who had all the prophets and the priests and kings, but they, even they didn't get it. Right? So she was cut to the heart. Her son was now dead. And then Saturday came. And I can't imagine the amount of tears this woman and others who love this man. I'm a perfect man. Imagine losing someone who never sinned against you. A man, the only one ever to live who never disappointed you in a way. That's not like any human relationship you know, right? So her, she was cut to the heart in a way that we, to a level that is beyond, I think, any of our personal experiences. But then Sunday morning came. Remember what happened Sunday? The disappointment was destroyed when what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. She beheld with eyes of faith, like there's that one song, Mary, did you know that the child that you would deliver would soon deliver you? What is it to behold the Messiah? It is to see the justification of God. It is to see God in flesh. It is to see, to see God come for you. God come for you. And because he's come for you and he's suffered for you, your suffering can't mean anything. Or can't mean nothing then. It must mean something if God himself would suffer. Your death must mean something if God himself would die. 
What is that something? It is to behold Jesus Christ. To put your faith in him. I, I would just say lastly, in terms of behold, take a note from Simeon. He's a man who's beholding. Notice what he does in verse 28 29. Who is he talking to when he gives this little poem that describes his consolation and his hope when he looks at the Christ child? Who is he talking to? Look at how he acts. Simeon took up in his arms this child and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're da 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 da. He doesn't say, Mary, now da 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 da. He doesn't say, you all da da da. He is acting like the Lord is in his presence listening to him in the temple. That's what beholding is. When you translate convictions about God and God existing and, and coming to church and all that kind of stuff, that's all seeing. When you move from seeing to beholding, when you begin to sing songs like he's there listening. When I sing hymns, I almost always now, at least at one of the verses, translate the he to you. I don't always obey the words on the screen. I say, you, Lord, are holy, Holy, holy. And I'll say that to him as if he's present because I behold, I see him. I know he's present and with eyes of faith. Do you understand the difference? So he's, he is acting like, he's living like the Lord is real and that is that he's a real person. Isn't that really what Christmas is about? It's the exhibit A, definitively God saying he's a person. He can relate to your situation. If you but behold him, you will not be disappointed when you behold him. The last uh, letter I suggested was ask, and it's simply this. All that I'm saying may sound very strange to you. But if you ask the Lord to show you, he will. If you, sir, if you come to him and you say, are you real? Would you, would, you, would you show me? Would you reveal? Would you help me to understand? Would you open my eyes to see? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, in the ninth chapter, he, he writes this, that some people, some mortals, some Gentiles, you might say, outsiders, who see but don't behold, I would say, some mortals say of some temporal suffering, disappointments, no future bliss can make up for my disappointment. Not knowing that in heaven, once attained, that heaven works backwards and turns even that agony into a glory. That's what happened for Mary. The agony of seeing her son die was translated, was transformed when he rose from the dead. It's like it says in Gandalf's, uh, on Gandalf's tongue or whoever said it, I think, every, will everything sad come untrue and will it somehow be greater for having been lost? Yes, in Christ that's true. Ask the Lord uh, to show you this. I, there's, you have heard probably, if you've had enough disappointments, you've probably heard of a lot of people talk about it and give you, you know, advice about it. You don't need more advice from me, another person like me talking about it. You just got to go behold the Lord and ask him what his perspective on it is. Treat him like he's real and see what he does. Ask him about it. Because that's what Jesus came for. It says this in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus, upon Christ. Because the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor, he sent him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Behold him. And he, it's, I know we suffer, and he's coming back, so there's an already not yet aspect of it, but he is the only answer to life's disappointments. 
Because the circumstances may not change, the disappointments may be permanent, especially if someones it's a death-related disappointment. But he's with you in that. And when he is Emmanuel, God with you, somehow the burdens aren't, uh, they're lessened as he carries them with you. So I'd urge you to behold him when you face disappointments, to seek the consolation of Israel. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe uh, as we're about to sing, uh, or listen rather, there's a song called, uh, it's talking about how long, O Lord, how long till you come back. Uh, That is the only permanent solution, is the return of the righteous ruler, the true prophet, priest, and king, and his reign on this planet. Right now he's opposed, but that dog, despite his bark, has a short leash. And someday he'll be out of the picture. And if you are in Christ, you will know bliss beyond your imagination. Let us comfort ourselves in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. And then that will give you a chance also to begin talking to him. Would you ask him, uh, talk to him as if he were in this room as you prepare for the Lord's Supper? Lord Jesus Christ, we turn the eyes of our hearts to you in faith. We live in a very broken world. I mean, the, the disruptions, the injustices, the difficulties, even the ordinary aches and pains, the, the accidents of basketballs hitting thumbs and breaking bones, the, the breaking of cars, the breaking down of cars, the breaking down of bodies, and even worse, the breaking down of relationships. Lord, all around us is brokenness and our disappointments are real and they are cu- accumulative. I, I, one brother says grief is a, is a cumulative thing. And grief upon grief upon grief. But somehow you wade into our griefs and you console us with this great reality that you are able to take all evil things and make them for good. You are able to upend death, to remove its sting. You are able, with your presence, we are able to face anything and anyone. So we beg you, Lord, that you would draw near to us, that we would move, some of us this morning, from seeing things about you to beholding you with spiritual eyes now, with eyes of faith. Bless us now, O Lord, as we talk to you in the privacy of our own spirits and hearts and as we prepare ourselves for communion and and take the elements to just be with us. If you do not stir, we're just going to be doing another thing with our eyes only and not with the spirit. But if you draw near, this will be memorable. In Christ's name, amen.